0: Hello, Daddy Gang. It is your father, Alex Cooper. Call Her Daddy will be taking a brief break this week, but we will be returning January 11th, 2023, new year, with a brand new episode to kick it off. Please enjoy this older favorite episode from Call Her Daddy in the meantime. I hope you guys enjoy your holiday break. I love you all. I cannot wait for you to see who is kicking off the new year for call her daddy until then enjoy what is up daddy gang it is your founding father alex cooper with call her daddy 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 gang has anyone ever studied abroad maybe you have hopes of studying abroad Maybe you are planning a trip to a new country with a few friends to study abroad. Picture this. You board a flight your junior year of college, excited to spend a semester in a picturesque Italian town. You find a room in a beautiful hillside home. You have three roommates who you enjoy spending time with. And to top it all off, you meet an Italian boy named Raffaelli, who is head over heels for you. It's a dream come true. After a romantic evening with your new boyfriend, you head home to shower and change. But when you get there, you discover the front door of your house is wide open. Something is wrong. The police show up, and when they kick down the door to your roommate's bedroom, they find a body. How would you act? What would you say? Police are everywhere, yelling in Italian, and you have absolutely no idea what is going on. You are confused. Whose body is inside? Are they dead? Am I in danger? Does anyone speak English? The body inside is your murdered roommate, Meredith Kircher, and you are the prime suspect. This is a true story. This is Amanda Knox's story. On November 2nd, 2007, Amanda's roommate, Meredith Kircher, was found brutally murdered. Amanda and Meredith were random roommates. They were friends, but had known each other for about six weeks. But the media had their own story they wanted to spin. Amanda Knox was a beautiful, blue-eyed, normal college student from Seattle. She could have been you. She could have been any of us. International tabloids exploited Amanda's good looks and manufactured a story that Amanda had murdered Meredith in a satanic sex game gone wrong. This made no sense, but it sold newspapers. A man's semen was found inside Meredith Kircher's body. His name was Rudy Guede. All evidence pointed to Rudy. But imagining Amanda and Meredith involved in a sex ritual gone wrong appealed more to the media and police. And despite the fact that this made no sense, this is the story they told. And the story you probably know headlines plastered across the world sex crazed, femme fatale, she devil. Foxy Noxie. They used Amanda's MySpace Soccer nickname to sexualize and vilify her. Daddy Gang, she could have been you. She could have been me. Fourteen years later, Amanda is still trying to clear her name. And I'm honored to do my part to help her tell the true story of what happened in Italy. Here is Amanda Knox. Oh my God, she's beautiful. Thank you. Guys, if you hear a baby, I promise it's not Amanda and it's not me. There is a baby in the room. This is the first time on Call Her Daddy that we have had someone below the age of like Actually, I thought this would be the perfect podcast to note that like my most recent
1: episode of my podcast, Labyrinth, is me giving birth. And oh my God, I don't know if you've ever heard audio of people giving birth, but it sounds like I'm having the biggest orgasm. Ever. The whole final act of the last episode is me just in labor. And let me tell you, going through hours of audio of me going, "Ah,
0: ah, ah, Oh God! Oh god! Oh god! Like it's just Oh my god. Did you hold the microphone up to your mouth or like who was holding the mic? Mostly it was my husband Chris who was who is taking care of all of that while I was very distracted. (laughs) Distracted, you know, just like giving birth to your beautiful new baby. Daddy gang, I am sitting with Amanda Knox. Thank you for coming. We have, yes, Amanda's husband and the surprise is that Amanda brought her infant, Eureka Muse Knox Robinson. Yes. Given the recognition surrounding Knox, Mm -hmm. did you ever consider leaving it out of Eureka's name? I did.
1: And that it's funny, like like, it's the whole question of like, do I embrace my identity or do I not embrace my identity? And I, I kind of I've always been a bit stubborn about this where it's like there's nothing wrong with me. Like the world has sort of acted like there was something wrong with me, something wrong with my sexuality above all. And that is that's not my problem. Like I'm pushing back and I'm trying to say, no, it's not my fault. There's nothing wrong with me. And therefore, my daughter can embrace the fact that I'm her mom, even while I'm like trying to protect her from all these forces that are ultimately beyond my control, but I can manage.
0: Did you ever at any point consider changing your name? No, in the
1: same way that I never uh, remotely considered taking a plea deal because I didn't fucking do it. And so, no.
0: The story of your life is unbelievable, but let's start at the beginning. According to the New York Times, your friends and your family described young Amanda as (laughs) naive, goofy, unconventional, harmless, trusting, sheltered, blunt, and a little bit of a rebel. Did they get it right?
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Musical theater freak, uh, yoga lover, someone who didn't have a ton of experience in the world, someone who didn't have a ton of experience sexually I was like I was pretty sheltered growing up I was very well-meaning I tried well in school I tried to I tried to appease people Um, but at the same time I had this like streak of no I don't like a pretty girl doesn't have to look like that she can look like this like I had this sort of like perfectly stereotypically Seattle which is like Birkenstock granola people
0: and how many siblings do you have I have three younger sisters Okay, and then your parents divorced when you were younger. Yeah,
1: when I so I have no memory of my my actual dad and my actual mom being married. But I grew up with being a part of their separate households, and they you know we lived within blocks of my dad. Okay, so like I was back and forth between my mom and dad's house all the time.
0: What was your most serious relationship in high school? So I didn't really have a relationship. It's okay. In high that's, okay. that's okay. It's <laughs> okay. I was a late bloomer. No, that's okay. When did you lose your virginity? In college. (laughs) So you went to college close to your hometown. You went to University Mm -hmm. of Washington. What made you want to study abroad your junior year of college? So my mom actually grew up, like she was born and
1: grew up for a certain amount of time in Germany. And I have, um, so I have a kind of international family, like I have aunts who live in Germany right now. Um, So I was thinking I wanted to have an international experience. Actually, my my Oma really wanted me to go study abroad in high school. She wanted me to go live in Germany in high school. And I think my mom was not quite ready to let me go. Uh, (laughs) So instead, it was like everyone acknowledged and accepted that this was a part of like, our family experience even because we didn't just grow up in one small town in America like my mom grew up she's an army brat baby got it and so got she was it. like Germany Texas blah 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 all over um and so i was studying languages in college i was studying german i was studying italian and because i was actually better at german i decided that i want to study in italy and really like what ultimately like decided it is I, I, I applied for programs in both countries and I got accepted to Italy's first. So that ultimately is what brought me to Italy. That and the fact that I didn't know Italian as well as I knew German.
0: Do you think about that a lot?
1: Um, and That part of it, no. The thing that really haunts me, the thing that haunts me the most is what, if I had never met Raffaele... Who was my boyfriend of five, five days before I was arrested? If I hadn't met him, I would have been home the night that Meredith was murdered, and I could have been murdered as well. So that's the thing that haunts me in my brain. And b- beyond the fact that, like, you know, one of the things I really love about this podcast in yeah. general is I think it's so, so important to talk about these like intimate parts of our lives. Yeah. And the intimate parts of my life were, first of all, like, blown way out of proportion and then used to utterly vilify me. And so that aspect of it, like, I don't even know where to, like, pin that down. Where does that impulse come from to, like, take a a young woman's sexuality and turn her into a monster for it? Like, that's the other part of it that I'm like, hmm. Because I I do want (laughs) to get
0: into that because it's – Yes, I felt sick for you watching them slut-shaming you equated to somehow you murdered someone. Yeah. And it, like, the spiral effect, and we're going to get to it, but it was, it's shocking, and I, I can't imagine living it. And so I'm just happy you're here today. <laughs> Thank Honestly, you, me too. <laughs> like, it's incredible. So for someone who has never been to Perugia, Italy, mm-hmm. can you paint the picture of the town you were living in when you got there? Sure,
1: okay. So in some ways, it's like this totally idyllic italian like hillside town with its like beautiful church and it's one main street and it's like flea market on sunday and like uh, you know tons of people just like being super italian and having like great shoes and like it's like a beautiful beautiful place these hole-in-the-wall like pubs and like cafes that like are just so beautiful in the sunshine it was like so fucking gorgeous and the cottage that I was living in was like right on top of the hillside overlooking the valley there were like fig trees in my garden like it was ridiculously beautiful
0: it was like the perfect I everyone that envisions going abroad everyone that's listening you're like I want to go abroad for my junior my sophomore my freshman year like That is like the ideal. Like you're like, whoa, I made it. And how did you even get that house? So
1: I went to, um, I visited Perugia shortly before I like moved in. um, And I was like, you know, traipsing around getting my bearings of like, oh, where's the university I'm going to be studying? And trying to get a sense of the space. And when I was like out front at the university, just kind of like, oh, look, here's the university I'm going to. a woman was putting up a, a flyer for a room to rent. And I was like, oh, is that nearby? And she was like, yeah, you wanna go check it out? And I was like, yeah. And so I just wandered over there again, like Kismet, like, oh, perfect, great, yay, we can have coffee. Like, I had coffee with them. We like ate some figs from the garden. We were like, oh, yeah, let's do it. And we just made it, like, it was there, it was done. It was right,
0: like, two steps away from the university. It was perfect. Too perfect. Too perfect. What was the biggest, if any, culture shock moment you remember having after getting off the plane and getting to Italy? I was not used to
1: this world of really, really aggressive Italian men, honestly. I was expecting to, like, come into a space and it being very, like, under the Tuscan sun kind of romantic feeling. Um, And instead, what I encountered was a lot of, like, really, really pushy, um, if not, like, I had this one moment where a guy offered to give me a ride home from um, a bar. And I was like, oh, okay, thank goodness, because it's dark out. You have a little Vespa. Like, you can just drop me off at my house. And he was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. And so he drove right past my house went right to his house. And I was like, um, no, I uh, can we go back there? And he was like, no, no, just a minute at my house. And like brought me and like brought me and I got to his house and I was like, no, no, I don't want to be here. And he was like, no, no, just come inside, meet my friends for a bit. And like brought me into his apartment and I was like, no, no, I really need to go. And I didn't even know where I was at this point. I was like in the middle of freaking nowhere. And I was like, I need you to take me home. And he was like, just come to my bedroom for a little bit. So I like I sat there on his bed glaring at him being like, take me home home and he was like just a minute just a minute calm down you want a beer and I'm like no that was a moment where I was like okay this is different
0: than what I'm used to do you feel like because you saying that honestly like do you feel like you were like a little um like i don't know if the word is like uninhibited like i feel like i'm a, i'm constantly paranoid of like i don't trust anyone i can't and nothing has like uh-huh. happened to me to make me think that but like the thought of getting on a, the, the back of a man's bike i'd be like i you like, idiot <laughs> right like i'd be like no like do you feel like you had such a um like what you just didn't even- it never occurred to me that someone would do that to me
1: ever yeah like i was oh. i was shocked and i was like no, do you not hear the right. words that are coming out of my mouth? I want to go home. You said you would take me home. Like, what are you talking so about? So do you feel like you
0: had a lot of trust in people back yes, then? Yes, absolutely. And were you like calling your family throughout these first few weeks and gushing about how much you loved it? Yeah, so it it was a little bit difficult because I didn't like, I only ever,
1: it was a 2007, so it's a little bit, like I didn't have internet in my house. Got so it. I had to go to like an internet cafe in order to send emails and stuff like that. Um, but I kept in touch. I told my family about how everything was just so idyllic and beautiful and right.
0: wonderful. Let's talk about your living situation. Mm-hmm. Can you de- describe your roommates? Sure. So I was in a cottage that was
1: two levels. Mm-hmm. And in the bottom level, were um, it was a totally separate apartment where um, four young guys were hanging out. They also were students, and that was their apartment. Okay. And I was upstairs with three other girls. Two of them were Italian, and they were slightly older than us. They were in their late 20s. And then there was Meredith, who was 22. Mm-hmm. and there was me 20.
0: Were you close at all to the two Italian girls? I mean as close as I was to
1: Meredith. I had just met them when I arrived in Italy and so I knew them for several weeks ahead of this and we would like go out to dinner together, we would go dancing together, um we went and
0: get did grocery shopping together, but we were still in right, the you getting met- to know each other phase. Right. You literally just met these people. Like yeah. um did the did they speak English? So
1: Laura um, spoke better English than Philomena. And of course, Meredith spoke English because she's from Britain. Right. But Uh I actually tried my best to speak Italian at home. And
0: it was very cute. So you hung out with them in the beginning days, but you were closer to Meredith.
1: Yeah. Just because she was closer to my age. We had more in common. We were going to school and they were like
0: interning at law offices. Got it. (laughs) Looking back. When you think about Meredith, what do you remember about her?
1: I remember that we, she, so I, I got up early once to go to this. There was, again, like, these beautiful things. There's this chocolate festival in Perugia. And what they had were these, like, early in the morning, they took refrigerator sized blocks of chocolate and then like a sculptor would come and like sculpt the chocolate and then people would gather like chunks of the chocolate that came off of the sculpture and just like hand it out to people in the crowd. They're chipping away, chipping away and then a giant chunk falls off and the person who's sort of collecting it grabs it and then is like scanning the crowd to see who wants it and then plops it right into my arms. It's like as big as a tombstone and I'm carrying this like tome of chocolate home. I like clump plunk it on the, like, the kitchen table and I'm like who wants to make cookies <laughs> and so Meredith and I went and got ingredients to make cookies and then make cookies at home
0: so like stuff like that fun enjoyable we're abroad we're roommates let's make the best of it moment yeah
1: yeah she was like she loved to read on the little terrace that overlooked the valley and so sometimes I would take my guitar out there and sort of play on my guitar while she was reading that kind of stuff what do you think Meredith thought about you I mean, she was always really nice to me. I think she she definitely went out of her way to make me feel welcome. That's right. Like at certain times she would come to, I started like working at a local bar, mm-hmm. like she would like come and check in on me and be like, hey, you know, it was like a slow bar that didn't get a lot of people coming by. So
0: she would come by and, okay, and check it so out nice. and be
1: like, hey, how's it going?
0: In the early days of your trip, you met an Italian boy. Yes. Raffaele. Is it Raffaele? Raffaele. Raffaele. How did you meet him? What did you think about him? So, Raffaele stood out to me
1: precisely because he did not come across, like, all of the other Italian men that I was meeting. He was actually quite shy, and I met him not in the context of, like, going clubbing or something like that. I went to a classical musical recital at the university, and, like, I happened... Me and Meredith went together, and then Meredith had to leave and meet her friends um, at intermission, and so he came and sat in her seat, and then we just sort of, like had me speaking bad italian him speaking bad english
0: like connection that versus what you're describing as the italian men that you were like what the fuck is this culture this is wild i wasn't expecting this yeah he had apparently it seems like more of a warmth to him he had a warmth and he felt like was just like a safe person so Week one into your new hot Italian romance, which I feel like is every single girl's dream. It's like you get there and you meet him and you're like, oh my God, now we're like running around Italy together. What do you remember about November 1st, 2007? Yeah. So
1: it was obviously the day after Halloween. Um, I had been working like half the night and then I met up with Raphael I was like dressed like a, I didn't really have a costume. I sort of drew like a cat face on me and we just okay. kind of like we hanging out outside, um, getting drinks and things like that. Um, the morning I remember that Meredith woke up late. She liked to sleep in. So that wasn't unusual. And she had dressed up like a vampire. And she still had, like, a little bit of, like, a little fake blood dribble on her chin. Um, and, you know, she was she was like, oh, I'm going to get dressed and take a shower. I'm going to go hang out with the girls, blah, blah, blah. She had gone to, like, um, the British girls had had their own, like, little Halloween party together. Mm-hmm. And she – so she showered. She changed. Um, she was like, okay, I'm going to go – I'm gonna go hang out with the girls I'll chat at you later and that was it I was just like okay bye like I vividly remember her throwing a purse over her shoulder and going out the door like it was just any other day and that was the last I saw of her and that particular moment I don't feel like I've been asked about since the trial honestly because they they were very particular about wanting to know what she was wearing I think because of the evidence that was in you know in her bedroom like she had been found naked and and um but of course there were like clothes on her bed or something like that and so they wanted to know like what color purse was she wearing and I think it was like a, a tan or a peach colored purse um if I recall correctly anyway so she leaves and then what do you do the rest of the day So I ended up, um, hanging out with Raffaele, um, deciding, so it was November 1st, it was, um right before the weekend and we had been deciding like oh what do we want to do for this like holiday weekend and we decided that we wanted to go to a nearby town called gubbio which was famous for truffles and he raffaele was like really big on like being a very good italian host he wanted to like show me everything and get me an italian perfume and like make me feel like a very special officially italian lady so he was like very big into that um we went over to his place we cooked dinner um we were hanging out I was we were reading we watched a movie we smoked a little pot we had sex and we went to bed
0: it was just a really chill chill day the next day November 2nd 2007 you wake up you get coffee, like what do you do that morning? The first thing that I did was I went
1: home so I could take a shower and change my clothes. Um, I wanted to get into a cute outfit. I got like a cute little white skirt on even though it was a little chilly, um, but I wanted to look pretty cause I was going on basically a date weekend with Raffaele. Um, So I came home and I found that the front door was open. And I thought that's odd. Um, the front door shouldn't be just wide open, but I also knew that the the lock was a little bit broken, and so maybe someone had like not closed the door and locked the door properly, and maybe that's what happened. So like I come into my house and I'm like, is anyone here? Like, are we okay? Like, and no one answered. So I thought, okay, that's odd, but all right, close the door, lock the key, go in, get undressed, go to take a shower, and when I was in the bathroom cleaning up brushing my teeth taking a shower i notice there are some speckles of blood in the sink and there is a sort of dirty splotch of blood on the bath mat and again i'm like that's odd at first i thought when i saw the like the the speckles in the sink i was like oh my god are my gums bleeding but no it was not my or or like were my ears like i just got my ears pierced i was like oh my god are my ears bleeding no no everything's fine that's odd I guess maybe someone is having like their period or something like I don't know so I get changed I get dressed I go into the other bathroom to dry blow dry my hair and that's when I noticed that there was feces in the toilet and I was like then I got the creepy feeling of like oh my god is there someone in the house with me like no one none of my roommates would have done that right so i immediately sort of gathered my things um went over to Raphaele's house and and st- like started calling my roommates basically being like hey is everything OK? It looks like maybe someone w- left the house in a in a hurry. Like, what's going on? And I didn't hear back from Meredith. I didn't hear back from Laura. And I was only ever um, able to get in touch with Philomena. And Philomena said, well, no, I've been out with my boyfriend all night. I don't know what happened. Um, meet me at the house. We're going to like figure out what's going on. And so Raphael and I go back to the house. We do a little bit more snooping around. We notice that Philomena's room has a broken window and has been looked like it's been ransacked. Like weirdly, the main, you know, living room area that we had, nothing looked touch. We looked into Laura's room, spotless, like the the bed was perfectly made. It was Philomena's room that was all like crazily askew. And... We go into my room. My room seems fine. I don't really, I didn't look, search it very thoroughly, but my computer was there. And I was like, okay, if my computer wasn't stolen, maybe it's okay. But then we go to Meredith's room and her door is locked. And we were like, huh, that's odd. Like, I wasn't sure if Meredith was in the habit of locking her door or not when she left the house. I didn't think so. So I was like, I knocked on her door and I was like, Meredith, are you in there? Meredith, Meredith. And no answer. Finally, I get concerned enough that I'm like, "Rafael, can you maybe try to kick down the door? Because I, I don't know if maybe she's hurt in there or something's wrong. He tries kicking the door down, doesn't succeed. So he calls the cops. And he's like, hey, there's been a break-in. We don't know what's going on. But one of our roommates is not answering her cell phone and her door is locked, blah, blah, blah. blah. While he's explaining all of this to the cops, a pair of cops actually walk up. And they are here because they don't know anything about our phone call. We thought, oh, wow, that was really fast. you guys, were you just around the corner? You answered our phone call? No. They were already on their way because someone had found Meredith's cell phones just thrown into a garden, someone's random garden. And, like, they had been ringing because I had been calling Meredith looking for her. And so they were ringing and ringing and ringing. And the person who lived in the house was like, "What is that ringing coming from my backyard?" She goes and finds these phones and then delivers them to the police and so the police finally arrived, comes full circle, and they're like, "Whose phones are these? Whose phones are these?" It says the sms like card was um was in philomena's name, and I was like, Oh weird philomena she's she's on her way, but I just talked to her She has her cell phone, and then Philomena arrived and said no i gave I gave a card to Meredith. Those are Meredith's phones." And we were like, Okay, but where is Meredith? Why doesn't she have her phones? And I'm like, Well, her door's locked. And Philomena's like, Her door's locked, someone kicked down her door and then the police kicked down her door, found the crime scene, and kicked everyone out of the
0: house. So You weren't in the house when they kicked the door down.
1: I was in the house, but I was not in the hallway. Like, it was a narrow hallway that led into her, like, to my room and then her room. I was in the kitchen area waiting. And I was, like, talking to the other... There were two police officers, and I think I was talking with one of the other police officers while one of them went and kicked down the door with, like, Philomena's and and her boyfriend's help. Yeah.
0: Which is also interesting later for the story to know Philomena was also gone and has a boyfriend. So there's, like two sets of couples that had the same exact dynamic. Mm-hmm. You have your boyfriend, you're not home, you're sleeping at your boyfriend's. Philomena is also at her boyfriend's. And so it's like, wait, why you?
1: Well, that's a that's a good question. And I actually thought about this earlier yesterday because... um what day is today is today the third? Uh, yeah so yesterday, the second, the sort of anniversary of discovering her body, I was thinking about like like why why me and why not like Philomena right right And I think one of the sort of big things is they've they sort of focused on my behavior in the immediacy of the discovery of this crime scene. but like the difference between me and Philomena was Philomena saw into Meredith's room. She saw Meredith's body with her own eyes, and I did not. And so immediately coming, like, you know, Philomena starts screaming her head off and, like, crying. Right. And starts everyone starts yelling in very rapid Italian. So I'm like, what the fuck is going on? We're ushered out of the house, and I'm sort of left shell-shocked, going, what's going on? What's going on? And hearing weird scraps of things that I can sort of kind of understand. And so I'm, like, I'm outside of the house going, what's going on? What's going on? And Philomena is crying hysterically. And so immediately the cops are looking at the two roommates, Philomena and me. One of them is crying. The other one is not. That was maybe the moment things started to go very, very wrong. And for understandable reasons, because they're looking at two young women, one of them is clearly the distraught and one of them is clearly confused. Right. But very different reactions. And Filomena's reaction was the expected one. Mine wasn't. And I don't think that the cops, like when they made their sort of gut intuition about me and about whether or not I was involved in this crime, I don't think they actually realized that I didn't really understand what was going on. I just was like talking to Raffaele and going, wait, wait what are they saying? What what happened? What did they find? Like, and at first they're telling me really confusing things. Like they saw a foot and it's like a foot. Are you talking about like a severed foot? Like, what are you talking yeah. about? And meanwhile, like, and then somebody's yelling about a wardrobe and how they found a body in a wardrobe. And I'm like, well,
0: what body, what are you talking Is it, where's Meredith? Is it Meredith? Like what is going on here? Philomena understands full town Ita- is Italian. Oh yeah. And you're like, hello. When, after you were like all escorted out of the house, when did you know? Like, it's that, Meredith that, in that there it was and Meredith. She's dead. I think it was
1: half an hour, an hour into this that like Raffaele was going and poking around and talking to people and going, okay, they think it's Meredith. There was a body under a sheet or like under a, a uh, blanket and they think it's Meredith and that they think that her she's been stabbed because there was blood everywhere.
0: And where the fuck is Philomena? Like, are you two not speaking? So I'm sort of like the.
1: The cops are sort of taking us all apart to, like, question us. And so me and Raffaele were sort of apart because we had sort of discovered the crime scene together. Meanwhile, Philomene and her boyfriend were apart answering questions to the cops. And so we're just standing there. And then eventually we all get taken to the police office to, like, answer even
0: more questions and do that for days on end. And then from that point, your life changed forever. There were paparazzi yes outside of the house and I want to talk about that because they're taking photos they're taking videos you and in that moment you knew obviously something was wildly wrong but like you're saying you're like you didn't even know that Meredith was dead and if there was a body in there you still didn't know for sure that it was Meredith yeah. What did the media say about how you were reacting?
1: Oh, what didn't they yeah. say? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. To anyone that's not like familiar with the case, yeah. just to summarize, every like
1: derogatory term that you can come up and imagine for a woman was thrown at me over the course of these trials and
0: this like decade of coverage of the case. But in that specific video that came out of you outside of the house, yeah. People were annoyed and disturbed by your reaction.
1: Yes. So there was a specific like three second clip that kept getting over the years shown over and over and over again, slow motion on like, you know, like in, um, in loop. Yes. And it was a three second clip of Raffaele sort of looking at me and giving me a kiss and then like hugging me basically and this clip was depicted as look at these two psychopaths who can't even keep their hands off of each other outside of a murder scene what was in fact happening was I was scared and Raffaele was like it's okay girl I like I
0: got you." you that was that was it do you think if you were sobbing hysterically you would have had a much different outcome yes I do
1: That's like the stereotypical response that people have or people expect people to have when they hear something so incredibly traumatic, like your friend has just been murdered. But for me at the time, I feel like I almost got like deer in headlights. Like this cannot be real, like almost like surreal, like this can't be happening. And thinking selfishly, perhaps that, oh, my God, I'm alive. Thank God I'm alive. Like, thank God I was at Raffaele's house. Like, oh my God.
0: There's so many people that had an opinion on your reaction who made the rules of how you're supposed to act in a traumatic situation like people are like she should be sobbing the fact that I was hungry at a certain point during my interrogations
1: and I asked for food they were like if you really cared about your roommate you wouldn't even be able to eat and it's like what are you talking about like if, if what this goes to show though is that once you like have a gut feeling about something somebody like whatever they do they cry they don't cry they eat they don't eat it's all through a the lens of suspicion so i feel like at a certain point whenever that point happened when these investigators had their investigative intuition that i was somehow involved there was nothing that
0: i could do that was right i agree because even if you were like i'm not hungry they're like look she's a psychopath she doesn't even need food exactly and then to see how it spiraled of the lack of emotion that everyone was so focused on where i'm like i see a girl in shock
1: I was not expecting to come home and find a crime scene that day. I was expecting to take a shower, get dressed in a cute outfit and go out with my boyfriend for a fun weekend. That was what I was expecting. I never ever 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 thought. Like even when I was like a lot of people are like, "Well, you saw blood in the bathroom." And it's like one, it was not all that much blood. And two, even if there was blood, you don't
0: automatically think i don't live in true crime land where like you come home and to a murder scene You're Like not, that's just
1: not what i was thinking
0: if i saw blood in my bathroom i would think is it real blood you just told me that there she it was had halloween she blood had, like, blood on, no i didn't immediately be like oh there's blood on the sink someone's murdered in this house yeah. what do you think of now when you do look at that that video like is it Triggering.
1: I mean, it is in the sense that, like, I've just seen that moment of my life replayed over and over and over again in order to vilify me. But I know what I was feeling in that moment. And that moment, I was just like, this cannot be happening. And, like, I almost feel bad for for me at that time because I had no idea that I was already sort of strapped to the tracks and there was a train that was coming and I had
0: no idea the power of a moment a 20 year old yeah having a reaction that and that
1: defines who you are for everyone's life forever and it's like first of all a single moment and also However anyone wants to see that moment is how they're going to define you. So you basically are a blank slate onto which anyone can project whatever fucked up ideas they have about you. And to like go back to how sexuality became such a huge part of this, yeah. like for me, I can't help but feel like, one, I can't help but get rid of that like creepy feeling that maybe some of these Italian dude detectives had weird sort of sexy vibes towards me and then they decided to translate that into oh I like this is my gut instinct that somehow I'm like my my mind is attracted to this person so maybe that's like what it's coming from but also like the fact that this whole case like the whole case that was built up the whole story that was built up was essentially a vilification of female sexuality because we're looking at like there were two women in this case there was meredith who was made into this sort of like virginal invisible ideal victim and never talked about again and then there was the Violent, sexually depraved, lustful whore and how like, let it, let's just burn her. like it and like there also was evidence, like there was evidence in this case that pointed to a guy who had a rap sheet, and no one cared about him. It was all about taking a, a woman who was sexual and vilifying the shit out of her. The man that
0: killed her. No one even knows his fucking name.
1: Yeah, I think I read like I um, someone was looking at even just um, like maybe daily Daily Mail headlines from like a time period between like 2007 and 2011, which was when I was like on trial and then my first appeal. And they looked at the number of times one Meredith's name was in the headline. It was like thirty something. How many times Rudy Gade's name was in the headline? Zero. How many times was Foxy Noxy in the headlines? 157 times that goes to show like what this case ultimately came to be about it wasn't about Meredith it wasn't about the person who killed her it was about vilifying a young
0: woman's sexuality where did Foxy Noxy come from Oh, soccer nickname
1: like it was like prepubescent soccer nickname like i played you played soccer so you know top of the diamond that's that was my position and so i like squirreled around and like stole the ball from people like a fox would like steal chicken eggs right so and it rhymes with nox
0: and then it was used in a sexual way yes it was like every fucking headline was like foxy noxy etc and it was like you were this like sex crazed woman
1: and and a woman who like was so sex crazed like so basically the like the 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 prosecution's depiction of events was that meredith was a pure virginal person who basically slut shamed me and i decided to rape and kill her in response to being slut shamed by her and it was just like
0: who imagines this and then they and then they find semen of rudy inside of meredith and they're like No, but still, Amanda. Yeah.
1: People really, really latched on to this idea. They really liked... And and what bothers me is that, okay, I want the authorities to be held accountable for making up a story and not allowing the evidence to guide their investigation. That's one aspect. But then there's the aspect of, like... The media, the role of the media is to hold authorities accountable to the people like they are a it's a it's an information tool that is in the service of the people. It is in the public interest. And instead of doing that, instead of holding the authorities accountable to the truth, they latched on to every salacious possible made up detail that they possibly could and then made bank. And also Meredith's murderer is kind of getting away with it. Like, you know, we talk about like, okay, yes, it was fucked up for me. And like, I will talk all day long about how it was fucked up for me. But also one of the things that like Meredith's family has always pointed out is like, when did this become the Amanda Knox show? Like, isn't this about justice for our daughter? And Mm -hmm. like, they make a good point the media decided that they could make a villain narrative and it didn't matter what the truth was to them anymore. It didn't matter what happened to Meredith. What mattered was sex game, violent, no, foxy noxy. Beautiful American girl, your picture And everywhere. also Meredith was a beautiful person. Absolutely. So it's like, oh, now we can like look at these two beautiful women and imagine them having like a fucked up sexual encounter. And also I like someone else pointed this out to me. I, I forget who it was, but they were talking about like the number one, like, hit in porn is like like debasing and like humiliating beautiful women and so it felt like this was almost a pornographic enterprise of like oh let's just like imagine first of all this violent sexual encounter that we can feel all moralized about like all scandalized about but at the same time like just have this like pornographic interest in Amanda Knox's like a ama- man like imagined and real sex life and like pitch her as this like ultimate sex villain and like I there's this like perfect example of this like there was this one English um, like talk show where they were like saying you know oh you know this like psychopath woman would you would you do it with her And it's like so you all, are just like um, you all just want to fuck and punish me, and I'm a 20 year old girl who's like just I've had like maybe you know seven total sexual partners, partners in my entire life, and I'm just like learning about who I am and and what I like what my experiences are. I've never been in a orgy in my entire life, and yet I am the stand in for everyone's like most fucked up sexual like ima- imagining. Yeah. yeah,
0: why? Didn't you go home, like, right after you couldn't? So I could. At any point,
1: I could have gone home. Um, I didn't because the cops said that I was there to help them. They told me, like, my mom was like, come home in- immediately. My aunt, who is in Germany, was come and stay with us until we they catch the killer because we don't want you in a city where there's a killer running loose. Right, And I... Was being brought in for questioning every day to like answer questions like look at pictures like people were bringing pictures from Halloween and like do you recognize that person that person like they were telling me I'm an important witness and that I needed to stay so that they could do their investigation and so believing them I stayed. I had no idea that they had tapped my phones. I had no idea that they were going to be bringing, like that instead of questioning me, they were actually interrogating me. And I was never, ever, ever informed. Even like the, the first time I understood and was explicitly told you are a suspect in this case was in front of a judge after i had spent three days in prison already. Like that was the first time that I truly had like expelled out to me this is what is happening to you.
0: How did the Italian police conduct the interrogation? Because I know it was a grueling process and you don't have to go crazy into detail, but just giving an idea of it. Yeah, so
1: um, so again, I was, Raffaele was actually called in for questioning. They didn't call me in, okay. but I was staying with Raffaele and I didn't want to be home alone because uh, what just yeah, happened? Yeah. So I followed him to the, police office and i was just sitting there in like the lobby waiting for him mm-hmm. but while i was sitting there some cops came by and they were like what are you doing here and i was like well rafael is being questioned so and they were like well if you're here you might as well be questioned too and i was like oh all right fine. i was trying to do my homework but okay they brought me into a room and they started asking me to recall everything that i could remember from the last time i had seen meredith and over again because i'd already answered these questions again And so I... Was going through it again, and basically what they did was they tried to find fault with everything that I was saying. So they were like, "Well, what exactly? What time exactly did you have dinner?" And it's like, "Well, I don't know. It was like <laughs> around nine, I guess. Maybe I don't. Re- we had me dinner, and then we ate, and then we like we watched a movie afterwards. And they were like, "Well, did you or did you read a book afterwards?" Because you said you read a book earlier, and now you're re- watching a movie. And it's like, "Well, I did a little bit of both. Like, what can I say?" And so they kept kind of like pushing at me, like, "Oh, maybe what you're thinking is..." wrong like making me feel like my memories were confused and oh are you sure you didn't do that the night before and that wasn't this night we really need to know and meanwhile Rafael is being interrogated after a few hours of this they come in and tell me Raffaele says you weren't with him that night and I'm like what the fuck like no that's not true I was with him that night and they were like well your cell phone says that you made an appointment to see Patrick? Who's Patrick? Are you sure you didn't meet up with Patrick? And are you sure that Patrick didn't rape and kill Meredith? And are you sure that you are remembering everything? Because what if you're traumatized? What if you witness something horrible and you don't even remember it? And then meanwhile, like this one one police officer was saying, I was once in a car accident and it was so traumatic. Like I broke my leg or something and I don't remember a thing. I blacked out. Do you think that that's what happened to you? Did you black out? Are you not remembering correctly? And like... After hours of this, and then like yelling at me and telling me that I'm never gonna see my family again, and telling and like slapping me on the back of the head, telling me, remember, remember. I finally was like, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe I totally don't remember anything. Maybe I met my boss, Patrick. Like maybe, maybe I don't, I don't know, but I'm confusedly trying to like remember what you're asking me to remember. So I signed these statements to the police right up for me. And then they finally stop yelling at me. Leave me alone for a second. I like am allowed to close my eyes for a single moment. Like I, I sort of close my eyes for a half an hour. I get like some rest. And then when I wake up, I'm like, oh no, like what have I done? I sign these statements. I did not go out and see Patrick that night. And I tell them like "I, I can't. Like all of that is wrong. Like I was just confused and scared. Like it's all wrong. And they're like, no, no, no. You'll remember. You'll remember. And so, like, I'm sitting there, like, begging them to, like, listen to me. Finally, I ask for a piece of paper. and I'm like, look, I can't. I, I basically recant. I write down I'm recanting, basically. I give that to them. And they say, okay, well, whatever. Um, we need to fingerprint you. We need you to strip down naked so we can take photographs of you. Um, you're an important witness. Sorry, we have to put these handcuffs on you. But it's only a formality. We're taking you out to a holding place for your own protection. You'll see your mom soon
0: mentally after you realize and you're going to you're going into jail. Yeah, I didn't
1: even know that I was going to jail though. That's not they didn't tell me I was going to jail. They told me that I was going somewhere safe. That's what they told me. And then I said I would see my mom soon.
0: Were they speaking to you in Italian? They were speaking to me in Italian, yeah.
1: And so again, like also a part of this was I was feeling like all of this was my fault because maybe my Italian wasn't good enough. Maybe I wasn't understanding them. Maybe they weren't understanding me. Maybe this is all a huge misunderstanding. And I kept thinking, I just want to talk to my mom. Like, I honestly just wanted to talk to my mom. And my mom, like, I had my cell phone there and they sort of confiscated my cell phone, but like they put it on the table in front of me. And my mom, who was due to arrive that day, arrived in Rome and started calling me. And my phone was buzzing and buzzing and buzzing. It was her. I knew it was her. And I was like, can I please answer the phone? My mom is calling me and she is going to think that something bad happened to me if I don't answer the phone. And they're like, no. I was like, my mom thinks that I'm dead. I don't know what to do. And that, you know, shortly thereafter, I'm arrested. It's big headlines like, case closed, the police were saying. Case closed. We figured it out in just five days. We figured out who murdered Meredith. It's Amanda and her boss, Patrick Lumumba, and maybe is involved. Case closed. And my mom's like,
0: oh my God, my daughter's in jail. This could be anyone. You're in a foreign country. You don't fully understand what these people are saying to you. And it's in the biggest moment of your life where there was someone murdered and you're potentially now about to be put in jail for murdering someone. And you're like, I don't even fully understand what the fuck you're saying. Can I please just talk to my mom?
1: I'm glad like I'm actually very grateful that you put it that way because that's not the way a lot of people like to frame my experience like I've I've had the experience of people saying oh you're just this cute girl who got away with it you just decided to like implicate an innocent person because you just didn't want people to like look at you and it's like dude that is not what interrogations are like if you think I had any control over what was happening in that interrogation room you have obviously never been in an interrogation room
0: and it also goes back to your reaction like there's people that have one never been in an interrogation room they have never experienced a type of trauma that you walk into a house and your roommate is dead how do they know how you're supposed to react and respond there's other cases where people literally have just admitted something in an interrogation room because it's like you are beaten down and they're almost like brainwashing you to give them an answer that they want right
1: but a lot of people like again have decided everything i do no matter what it is is evidence of guilt right how did the interrogation end? So, yeah, I'm brought into prison. Like, it sounds bizarre that I didn't understand what was happening to me. Because it's like, okay, the handcuffs. Oh, they photographed me naked. Oh, like, a, a, a Italian dude has to, like, look at my junk. And, like, f- like it's just, like.
0: Put and, his fingers inside of your vagina.
1: Well, like, what they said they were doing was checking for signs of rape. And I'm just like, what? I never said anyone raped me. Like, what are you talking? Like, but, of course, at that point, I'm like, right. just, I, I'm. Like, do whatever, like, I'll do whatever you say. And so they bring me into jail, and I'm put into a cell. I'm wondering when I'm going to see my mom. I'm given, like, a wool blanket, and I just lay on this, like, cot and cry. That was the end of that interrogation. Just, like, sobbing in a jail cell with nothing in a room but a cot and a wool blanket. I was scared I was confused I was in shock I was in disbelief I felt disassociated even from what was happening to me okay yeah um yeah it was um I just wanted my mom yeah I really just I needed somebody to not be screaming at me and and threatening me and and telling me that I had witnessed something horrible and that like I I didn't know what to do
0: did you ever take a lie detector test?
1: No, they don't take those. Um, they don't do those in Italy. Right. And i they're not good because they don't actually, they're not okay. reliable. Okay. What, they, what a lie detector test actually detects is whether or not you're nervous. Right. And you can be nervous for lots of reasons. And also you can be a liar who's not nervous at all.
0: Do you remember the first time that you saw your photo on the cover of a tabloid?
1: So in those first days, I was not allowed any access to any media whatsoever. But then, you know, over the course of the investigation, once I was taken out of solitary confinement, I was sort of allowed to see at least what was on the news. And the news was just like nonstop coverage about me, about the case, that three second loop on over, over, over again, nonstop, like for the first eight months of my imprisonment when I was like in isolation, It was basically nonstop, like super new evidence comes in like oh some super witness comes in and says that they saw Amanda and Raphaele the night of the murder and then it's like oh well that actually never happened and that person just disappears into the ether but it was like this non-stop sense of like oh what's the next thing and the next thing and oh Meredith was drunk out of her mind the night that she was killed oh wait never mind actually that's because the cops actually took all those samples of her blood and then they got spoiled because they didn't get stored properly and so that's why they basically had fermented her blood and that's why it came across that it was had alcohol in it and it was like no, no no she's not like drunk out of her mind it's because you didn't store her samples well it was a shit show
0: were you one of the only like american women
1: in the prison for a while i was the only american woman in the prison i was also one of the only women who had all of her teeth it, i was like plunged into an environment of like very 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 poor drug-addicted, broken women who had, had shit for lives, like people who were not coming from a place of, like, comfort and warmth and family like yeah. I was, who didn't go to school, who had been, like, traumatized from the moment they were born, like they were neglected or abused or addicted to drugs, like grew up in really bad circumstances and had nothing but bad choices ahead of them. But, like, my first cellmate was um, a woman who had... Um, who was an incest victim, at least that's what I heard. I can't, you know, for sure. But for what I heard was that she was an incest victim who had murdered her child and she was, like, a little out of her mind. Like, she was, um, she had this fixation with, like, scratching her skin until it bled. And so she was covered with, like, all of these sores all over her face and arms. And that was my first celly.
0: Did everyone in the prison know what you were going through?
1: Yeah. I was the famous one so everyone had an opinion everyone wanted to talk to me about the case the way that I managed that was I always refused to talk about everything right I I didn't want to get into this place of like my life and the worst experience of my life is just a part of the gossip mill I spent a lot of my time trying to be invisible not talking to a lot of people, and eventually, over the course of this whole experience, figuring out my hustle, which was reading and writing because a lot of the people that I was in prison with were illiterate so I was reading and writing their letters for them helping them do like commissary shopping helping them read their court documents that Is that
0: what people like say if you're in prison like what's your hustle? I mean everyone in
1: prison has some hustle Got because it. you're part of well first of all like you are in a system that basically devalues you as a human being and so your human potential is very very limited you develop with other inmates a kind of social economy And that social economy is built up of the kinds of things that you can, you can offer to the community. And the thing that I could offer to the community was literacy.
0: Right. Was there any like harassment or like abuse? I never was hurt by any
1: of the other inmates, although I did see, I did see violence between inmates. The thing that I experienced was um, male prison guards. Um, there was one particular guard um, who was one of the higher-ups at the prison who in those first two weeks brought me into a private office with just him and interrogated me about my sex life and made sort of suggestions that we might have sex together. And I, so at first I just played dumb. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand you. And then eventually eventually, I was just like, no, no, I just want to go to my cell now. And he was like, you sure you want to go to your – like, it was bullshit. He just – he uh, took this sort of, like, private interest in me and eventually cut that out because I I rejected all of his advances. Other times in the prison, like, I was grabbed by a male guard while I was, like, in the bathroom and it, it, other stuff like that. But, like, again – Not as bad as some of my friends' experiences. Like, I know people who were raped in prison. So it's like I was never raped in prison. I was never beaten up. I saw violence, but I, I largely escaped and stayed out of anything that was too horrifically traumatic.
0: The mental abuse, though, who told you that you had HIV? That was a doctor
1: at the prison. So I was frequently being brought in for the doctors to, you know, they were taking like DNA samples and things like that. And one time they brought me in and they told me that I had tested positive for HIV and that I needed to, well, they didn't say that. The vice comandante, the man who was sexually harassing me, he said that I should think about all the people that I had ever had sex with to figure out who had done it, who had given it to me. And I was hysterical. I came, I went back into my cell and cried and was thinking that, I, again, this is those moments where I'm like, oh, is all the suffering that I'm experiencing now, is this like somehow me catching up on all the suffering I'm ever supposed to live is like happening in one moment in my life? Am I going to die? Like, am I never going to have a family? Am I going to be stuck in this? Like, what is happening? So I write down in my diary, which they knew that I was writing in, because um, I was basically, that's all I did was sit around and like, Write in my diary, I wrote down the people that I, all the people I'd ever had sex with. And the very next day, my room was, everything in my room that had my handwriting on it was confiscated by the police and then leaked to the press and depicted me as someone who, in the course of like two weeks, had sex with seven different people and was a sex maniac. And clearly, because I'm a sex maniac, I must be also a psychopathic murderer you had
0: sex with seven people yeah 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 but th- this is the thing like what are we talking about um, here that's like that's a pretty normal number by the time you're you're in college yep that sounds about right police looking at that and saying then she had to have probably also been capable of murdering someone yes. like
1: I'm I, my orgasms are so great I just have to stab someone afterwards right. like what but, is happening like this this is like and I I've At the time, like, I didn't really know how to respond to any of this kind of criticism. I, like, I was also very new to my own sexuality, so I didn't really have any sort of perspective or, like, authorship over, like, am I a normal person? Am I not a normal person? And, like, since coming home and looking back on all of this, like... First of all, I think it's amazing that there's a podcast like this where people can be super frank about like their experiences and like we are all sexual human beings and that's okay. No one's a psychopath for having sex. And also like I've learned so much. Like I I interviewed this um, dominatrix for my podcast because I was really, really interested to know what the sort of kink community's response to the way that I was portrayed like the idea like I was portrayed almost like this like sex maniac dominatrix femme fatale who orchestrated very specifically a sex game that I was like organizing this sex game to rape and murder my friend that was what was portrayed and so I was like okay what do people who actually organize like fun sex times for people think about the fact that this their their whole like lifestyle is being vilified in this moment right and like this really surprising thing that i got from this i i very frankly reached out to a dominatrix and was like what is your experience with law enforcement? Do you feel like law enforcement is just like calling people dominatrixes left and right and just like vilifying them? And are you afraid of like a cop seeing you and like arresting you for right. a crime you don't commit? Right. And the really surprising thing was the dominatrix, at least she's based in LA, she was like, no, actually, I have a great relationship with law enforcement because law enforcement, at least here in LA, recognizes the difference between kink and abuse. And in fact, what they'll do is reach out to the kink community in order to better understand when people are falsely claiming kink in abuse cases. And so they'll, like, dominatrixes like her will be called in to testify in, like, murder trials when people are, like, falsely claiming that they strangled their girlfriend in a sex game. And they're like, no, 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 no. You don't just start strangling your girlfriend like out of nowhere wow yeah so that was like i i remember the moment when she told me this because i was like sitting with her she had invited me to a dominatrix convention so i went to this dominatrix convention with her as like her personal guest to like get a glimpse into this kink world i have and um and she was so kind um and we were sitting at lunch and she was telling me like i was very frankly like okay the reason i'm here here. I, I love that you're so open and welcoming towards me, um, that you're also being super confidential about me even being here, because can you imagine what the press would do if they found out Amanda Knox goes to a dominatrix convention? So like, thank you for your warm welcome. I know that I'm an outsider here. The real reason I'm here is because I need to know what your relationship with law enforcement is. And when she told me that like, they actually had a legit, good, understanding relationship, i broke down crying because i was like i thought like i was it then just me like or th- are they just making up sex villains willy-nilly and was this an italian thing with like what is go- like i thought maybe like she would sort of like get that experience and instead yeah. i still kind of felt alone oh. and isolated i don't know it's uh...
0: to hear you still searching for answers Yeah, why me?
1: Why my sexuality? Like, why? Why this unwillingness to admit that you're wrong, even in the face of like, overwhelming evidence to the contrary? Like, why? And if anything, what I've found um, over the course of a lot of thinking, and also a lot of examination of other people's cases, is that it's really just human nature. People are so, so averse to thinking that they were wrong because it's not like we sort of attach like values to our own identities on whether or not we're right or wrong and the idea that I'm wrong means I need to admit something about myself that I don't want to right and so I think that that's what I'm ultimately facing and it's like if I think about it that way I actually feel less alone because we all face that in our lives in some way or another I just faced it in a really extreme fucked up
0: way what kept you going like in when you're in jail like was there someone you thought about day 361 in jail like what was keeping you going i did 1428 days
1: uh it depended on the day right but mm-hmm. like mostly this was the my sort of like rebel aspect of it i did not want this thing that had nothing to do with me to control my life or to change me in ways that I didn't want to be changed. I looked around me in this prison environment and I saw so many women who had gone through so much shit and were actually, a lot of them were like bitter and angry because of it. And I did not want that to be me. I understood that my life was fucked and I was living an unfair life, but I did not want that to define who I was. I still felt like the one thing that I still had control over Like if everything's stripped from you, you realize what you still have control over. And I had control over my own mind. So I spent a lot of time just talking through with myself how I was going to get through one day at a time because I couldn't think about tomorrow. I could only think about today. And a lot of times I was able to find reasons to keep existing in a single day. I had a letter to write to my mom. I had a phone call that was coming up at the end of the week. I could I could try to I beat my record for how many sit-ups I could do at a single time. Like really, really like humble fucking goals, but still ones that made me feel like it was worth living. But also we're all doing this all the time anyway. Like we all only have so much control over our own lives. And I think really embracing that, like yeah. embracing, first of all, how things could be worse throughout the entire time that I was in that jail cell, I also was very aware that I could be dead. And I was like, okay, I'm not dead.
0: I could see someone with everything you were going through wanting to be dead. Well,
1: I definitely imagined it. And I I don't like feeling trapped. Like one of the ways that I've changed in a big way is that I no longer feel comfortable in crowds. I just feel trapped. It reminds me of feeling like I... There's no, I need to know where the exit is. I need to know where the door is. When I was in my prison cell, I couldn't even look at the door because it was all bars and it made me feel claustrophobic. So I would always look out the window. But like when you are limited like that, it sort of forces you into either a place of insanity or of like extreme mindfulness because the only thing you have is the present. Right. And that's the, that's the only thing you ever have.
0: Did you ever feel like you were going insane? How, How many more days can I fucking do this? Like
1: you stop thinking
0: that. Really? You start thinking, I have now. Right, right.
1: Now is the only thing that I can deal with.
0: So you had suicidal thoughts in the jail?
1: I thought of ways that I would... It was sort of my escape hatch. Like, if it all came down to it, here's what I can do. Did you
0: have suicidal thoughts once you got out?
1: No, I did not. Okay. To be clear, being outside of prison is always, always, always way better than being inside of prison. Right. Um, the transition, though, from going from a, a imprisoned person to a free person was not easy for me, and it still hasn't really been easy yeah. for me because I my life and my identity has been defined by an accusation of a terrible sex crime. And so, like, my life is associated with a terrible sex crime that I had nothing to do with and I am perpetually viewed through that lens as if the only thing that is valuable about me as a human being is my role in people's understandings of this case and this case only and I've found that people sort of resent me for continuing to go on like I have a life outside of this and I have it thrown into my face all the time that Meredith doesn't, that I'm alive and Meredith isn't. But also people resent me for like trying to like, you know, shed light on wrongful convictions or like to like build off of my experience and and grow and learn and reach out to other people who have been shamed in the media. What do they want you to do? They want me to disappear. They want me to be grateful that I'm not dead and disappear.
0: Well, let's talk about that because you get out of prison and... Immediately right after, like, what was that like adjusting to freedom? Well, there's
1: a, I don't know if you've, have you um, listened to any of the episodes of my podcast? Because there's a really good one describing like the day I got out of prison. Okay, I'm going to um, listen. And I'll, I'll send you a link. Okay. Because um, there's this FBI agent who um, basically volunteered his services to my family to help me get like safely from the prison back home. Oh my God. Like, oh my the God. number of people who just came out of the woodwork and were like, i can't save you but i can help in this way like a airline fl- uh, flight person who was like oh you can have my miles so that you don't have to pay as much money to like my family so they could come visit me um and this F- former fbi agent he like orchestrated this whole like in insane like james bond-esque escape oh, <laughs> situation do oh. and we had like we had a really good moment um
0: were there ever like death threats or anything? There were
1: definitely death threats, um, and this FBI agent spent a, quite a lot of time setting me up with contacts that I could reach out to. Okay. Um, I also was started taking Krav Maga self defense classes, um. adjusting
0: to normal life. Like, was it? What was it like? Like, I, I assume everyone knew who you were. Like, you w- you went back to Seattle eventually after yep. the safe house. Yeah were people nice mean so here's the crazy thing and this is also like a really really sweet thing
1: and it's a difference between what happened to me and what happened to Raffaele. um and he, there were people like in his hometown who really rallied behind him but mostly people treated him like shit like he was a murderer who got away with it and like no one would touch him i came home and the minute i stepped out of the airplane there were people holding signs that said welcome home amanda and like the local record store had welcome home amanda like on their like big you know where they would yeah. have like nirvana vinyls yeah. like it was yeah. <laughs> I man welcome home amanda and so like i came home to an incredibly warm welcome But at the same time, paparazzi from all over the world descended upon Seattle and camped outside of my mom's house. And like I couldn't go anywhere without being followed for months. And then when I went back to school, I want like the thing that I wanted more than anything else was to just go back to the life I had before. I just like I had been torn away from my life and I just wanted to go back to my life. And I discovered that my life from before didn't exist anymore. That I no longer could go to class without people taking pictures of me. I could no longer just ride my bike to school. I could no longer get a regular job. I couldn't, there was, the case had become my life. And I had to find a way to process that experience and rebuild a whole new life, basically out of scratch. How do you get through that? Um, I'm still working on that. Um, But I think the biggest thing is, um, it's given me, first of all, an appreciation for the myriad ways that we all experience this, like Mm -hmm. there are ideas of us in other people's minds that we don't have control over that ultimately don't have to define us, at least to ourselves. Like, yes, it may mean that I can't get a job like a normal person, and it may mean that I can't go on a date with, like, a normal person. Like, when Raffaele, Ra- sweet Raffaele, like, he decided that he wanted to start dating again, and he was having a hard time, so he went on, tw- on Tinder. And, like, the second, like, he went on Tinder, a tabloid journalist, like, went on there and was, like, chatting him up as if she wanted to date with him in order to, like— write a fucking article about him like it's terrible like every little no you can't trust anyone and every intimate aspect of your life because you're a public person is now in the public interest even if it has nothing to do with the crime that initially made you a public person so this is the ongoing struggle and also the idea that like oh my gosh Is it the case that there is nothing that I could ever remotely possibly do in my entire life that will define me as much as a thing that I did not do? And like that may very well be the reality of my life. That very well may be it. Is that something I can live with? Well, yes. Because it doesn't stop me from trying to do good works. It doesn't stop me from trying to like be the person who defines my own self. And it doesn't stop me from making choices in my own life to move on. So like ultimately it comes down to a a sort of personal decision to persevere despite like the mountain of an obstacle that you have in front of you. And meanwhile like what I've discovered is I'm not the only one who's living with this. Like, there are lots of people who feel like they are trapped in the worst experience of their lives, victims of crime and victims of the criminal justice system. We all want to be the voice of our own story. And so many of us are denied that opportunity. So, which is to say that it is so fucking great that you are even talking to me because you're giving me an opportunity to be the voice of my own experience. And for years, I was denied that opportunity. Years. Years. And to this day, even, like, it's sort of touch and go, you know? Like, some people are, like, totally down to listen, totally down to, like, understand my experience from my perspective, and some people are like, eh, I'm not a real person, and I don't, like, fit the perfect bill. Like, even in, like, the sort of world of, like, criminal justice reform, right? I don't look like the ideal person to be an advocate for that. I'm right. this, like, privileged white girl. I don't, like, represent the vast majority of right. people, even if I've served my damn time.
0: Is it hard to stay in like contact with Raphael? It's a little bit simply because like
1: I completely understand that a big part of his trauma is that no one ever gave a shit about him. So the only reason why he almost lost everything in his entire life was because he started dating me five days before Meredith was murdered. He barely knew me and his entire life got thrown through a loop and no one cared about him yeah. he talked about how like in the trial like he was bringing up like I don't have a history like I don't have a criminal history right. like I don't I had no reason to like, take part in like a murdered game like what are you talking about and they were like oh no no you're just Amanda's bitch so you would do whatever she said because you're a, a helpless like man child right. who would do whatever a femme fatale would say and he's like that's not who I am That's
0: not who I am. When you tried to get back into dating, how was that? When you tried to get back into dating, how was that? What ended up happening
1: was um, my first boyfriend after I got home was actually someone who I had dated before in college. Okay. So, someone who I knew from before, yep. who I'd exchanged letters with, like while I was in prison. So, someone I knew and trusted. Mm. And we dated for two and a half years. And then my next boyfriend after that was someone who I knew from middle school. So, like all people that I knew from before yeah. but hadn't seen in many years, we had grown, like learned, come to know each other. Um, and then finally, I met my future husband. Who, um, really, really cute story because, um again like I was saying I was writing for this local newspaper I was doing a lot of arts correspondence so like reviewing books or plays or whatever Right. Um, I was given an advanced copy of his debut novel and I reviewed it for the paper I thought it was fantastic it's called War of the Encyclopedists I wrote this rave review submitted it to the paper and then like whatever forget about it like it's done next assignment except the very next day I walked out of my apartment building and in like the diner window across the street was like a poster for a book reading of this exact book and I was like huh I never go out like I never never ever ever go out to public things this is a little bookstore it's this book that I just read I thought it was super great I'll just like duck in so I ducked in and I checked out this like great book reading and at the end of it I asked him can I have like an interview for the paper and he was like sure come over to my house didn't s- kind of sort of knew who I was because there were people whispering in the crowd like oh man not just right he was like I don't know like I'm a poetry guy I don't like right. follow true crime whatever they invite me over to his house drink scotch watch star trek hang out go on a walk I interview him great at the end of this like interview hangout session he shakes my hand and says we should be friends and it's like a throwaway thing to say, like, okay, yeah, we should be friends, sure. But for me, it was like a month after I'd been fully exonerated, and wow. it was the first time I was like, whoa, maybe I can make friends like a normal person. Maybe. Wow. And so he was one of the first friends I made after I was fully exonerated, and we were like friends for a good like nine months before we started dating. And what was, what's even funnier is that when we started dating, he was playing the field, And his roommate was, who ended up being the officiant at our wedding, he was like, always like, pick Amanda,
0: pick Amanda, Amanda, pick Amanda, go for Amanda. (laughs) Wait, that is (laughs) such, that's such (laughs) an amazing story. Were you living with your family while, when you went back to Seattle? So I started out living with
1: my family. Then I moved in with a friend of mine that I had known for years. And then eventually I got my own apartment in like an area
0: of downtown what was your family's experience when you came back also to town? I mean, my family has been through the fucking
1: ringer. Like, it's one of, when these things happen, they don't just happen to one person, yep. they happen to a whole network of people. And so I feel like unraveling the trauma uh, that happened to everyone, yeah. because everyone's lives became utterly focused on save Amanda, save Amanda. Um, that was the first priority and every other priority ended up having to become secondary. Like that was real, but we've all like moved on. Like we've all, we all have our lives. My sister got married and had a kid. Like my mom is still working as a teacher and is super happy to be grandma now. Like everyone's like got got a life, but we're still sort of unpacking how we've all been affected by this and how our family has been affected by it. You know, my youngest sister was like nine when I was arrested. And so, like, she didn't really f- even fully understand what was happening and right. only sort of had to figure it out over the years. She's 22 now.
0: Did any of them experience bullying?
1: Yes. So, um, my sister described, my sister Deanna describes this one situation where she was with my dad and my younger sisters at the pool. And Delaney, my youngest sister, came crying over to Deanna because she said someone had said that she was sisters with the murder girl. And, um, and then my sister Ashley has, has, um, talked about how people would purposefully call her Amanda Knox instead of Ashley Knox in order to sort of like, again, like highlight, like we all know what your sister did.
0: How often do you think about Meredith? um,
1: it changes from the time of year. Like, right now, this time of year is one that I think about her a lot, obviously, because yeah. it's the—like, this week was the anniversary of her right. murder. It's the anniversary of when I was um, arrested. I think of her anytime we come on to, um, like, December 4th is when I was first convicted. So there are, like, moments in the case that, like, are very, very vivid to right. me. There was that feeling of, like, this— Again, how our lives became intertwined, and we almost became like two sides of a coin, right like we were both like we're we're almost versions of each other. And yet I'm like the one who lived and she, she's the one who died. And it's, it's so bizarre. And at the same time, I also know that she was her totally her own person and like had her own dreams and her own life and her own family. And that all got taken away. Right. And as much as like my identity has been usurped by this like whole horrible tragedy, talk about her identity. Like she never got a chance to like even fight back against, you know, a false narrative about her because she just is gone. And there's no way to get her back. And so, like, I'm especially thinking about that now that I've had a daughter because, like, on the anniversary of her death for the past many, many years, 14 years, I've always sort of put myself in her shoes and thinking, like, oh, my God, what must it have been like? What were her last moments ever as a person? Like, horrible, horrible moments thinking, oh, my God, it could have been me. And this year, I couldn't help but put myself in her mom's shoes. And thinking like, oh my God, if that happened to my baby, what do you do? You, and like, I can totally understand how her mom would have willingly taken her daughter's place if she could and she couldn't in the same way that like my mom every time she walked into that jail to visit me she would have taken my place if she could but every time she had to leave me behind in a place that she knew where I was suffering and she couldn't do
0: anything about it do you have any contact with Meredith's family no not
1: not yet I yeah not yet is my sort of position because like I know that it's a complicated situation yeah I know that at least in the past like I it's unclear to me at this point how they feel about me Mm -hmm. and I don't want to like force a relationship onto them if it's traumatic for them so I have sent messages to them through intermediaries telling them I want to have a relationship with you I want to talk to you right and I'm
0: waiting to see if that's something that they want to do you, you that's something you would want yeah
1: i want the same thing that they want i want to know the truth i want to know what happened to meredith i want her to be recognized for who she was and yeah. I want their suffering to be recognized for what it is and I want them to get the closure that they deserve I want that too yeah. and like that's why like I have really complicated feelings about you know her killer Rudy Gaday, because I've spent time in prison now too and I'm thinking here's this young guy I've like had this whole thing on my podcast talking about when he was released from prison because he's out how do you feel about that I know that he is, was a very young man when he made this colossal horrible decision to rape and murder Meredith i don't know how he feels about that today i would hope that he regrets that he hasn't actually shown that he acknowledges what he did and yeah. he hasn't like admitted to it and and asked for forgiveness so it doesn't give me a super hopeful feeling that yeah. like he truly feels rehabilitated even but at the same time we're also looking at a system that is super adversarial that disincentivizes people from admitting fault and apologizing for things right and maybe he feels like a fucking victim too because he like was a young guy who was abandoned by his dad brought up like foster care in italy didn't like have a great thing going for him and he sort of spiraled out of control going from burglary to burglary to burglary until he
0: majorly majorly fucked up what is like a word to describe how you feel towards him because essentially like i had to look up how to pronounce his freaking name nor does a lot of the world we know amanda knox and it's like the person that actually murdered raped is not at the forefront of the story like yeah
1: his name is not the one that is affiliated with this horrible crime mine is yeah, I wish that I could. I had a better word, but I think if I was going to be totally honest, I'm angry. I'm angry. And I'm still angry. That doesn't mean that I can't have compassion for him, but I am angry. I don't think that my name ever should have been associated with his actions. And the fact that it, no one seems to really care about him given that they were his actions really bugs me out and like maybe my anger is a little bit sort of misdirected at him because of all of the people
0: not seeming to care that it was him you know I don't know I don't think that's irrational at all I think that's actually sounds like exactly what would be the appropriate response for you bearing the weight of someone else's actions and now it has affected the rest of your life but is there anything like you do every single November 2nd like is there anything no there's not like a specific
1: ritual there's a quietness there's a kind of um there's just like a thoughtful moment of again that like it's an expression of like acknowledgement that I'm alive and she's not in another reality it could have gone the other way or we both would be alive or we both would be dead it's like how fragile are we all in any given moment
0: yeah do you still feel like people are judging your every move especially on social media well I know that
1: there are certain people who are in fact judging my every move on social media like okay. at any moment in time yeah. they're trying to find any fault that they can in me and so they'll do that and like it'll crop up like I'll go to uh like a Renaissance fair where my friends are like sword fighting, and people were like, Oh, look, she can't get away from knives, like stuff like that. Like, so there's that. And I, and I do feel like, on the one hand, I, I sort of long for an existence where I, don't need to social like use social media Mm -hmm. to like interact with the world I understand that it's sort of like inevitably the way that like a lot of us are communicating and being a part of like a digital community together and it is important I think it does have the negative consequence of uh, sort of driving us to constantly seek approval from random strangers. And I understand how much of a losing game that is. So like, I do think that the sort of mind suck time suck of social media is not necessarily healthy unless you can have a sort of meta, almost disassociative relationship with it. On the other hand, um, without social media, there are so many people who have reached out to me either, you know, you know, asking for help, asking for like perspective on their own lives. Yeah. like, oh, I feel like no one understands me, but maybe you might understand me. Like have those kinds of moments happen? Um, and then also people just saying, like, hey, I just want to send you some nice vibes yeah. today because I know you've been through some shit.
0: Have you thought about how you will explain this to your child? Yes, I've thought
1: about that a lot. The moment that I'm that I'm most sort of not looking forward to, mm-hmm. Is the moment when she first, like, when we all first say, that's not fair. Because, like, when you reach the point of understanding whether or not something is fair or not, you have a, a, you've reached a level of sophistication to understand a level of human suffering that is, can be deep. Life really isn't fair. And if you like, it's such a throwaway thing. Yeah. Like, that we just say it all the time. But, like, when you really think about it, how life isn't fair and how bad things happen to good people for no reason. That is something that, at the very least, I feel like I've been able to think really deeply about. I have a lot of perspective about that issue, and it's not something that I take for granted. So, yeah. when she r- reaches that moment of her life, when she starts understanding that things aren't fair, I'm not just gonna like throw away, like, life isn't fair, throw a smile on your face. Right. Like, no that existential crisis of life isn't fair is real and it's one of the deeper problems that we have as human beings and as a society because we don't have great answers for that and that's okay like acknowledging that we don't have great answers for big problems is gives you a level of humility to have a lot more compassion for people no matter who they are and then i'm sure like i'm gonna let her guide her own understanding of my case she'll ask questions she'll want to know she'll be exposed to i have friends who have gone to prison for things i didn't do and like they like she's gonna know from being around me that there's something about this justice system that is a little questionable yeah and when she's ready she'll ask me and i'm gonna be totally honest
0: thank you thank you so much thanks